You're listening to episode 17 of the Copyright and Intellectual Property Podcast. I'm Jason Tucker, and I've settled over a billion dollars in copyright claims for the world's largest studios. Over the last 15 years as the expert pirate hunter, IP problem solver, and enforcer, I have helped shape copyright law, the processes, and the landscape that exists today. So how do you keep your IP organized, protect it from pirates, and make even more money off of your content? With real-life insight and stories from the trenches, this is the Copyright and Intellectual Property Podcast. Fair use. A truly abused term. On this episode of the Copyright and Intellectual Property Podcast, my goal is to get you thinking about liability and how you can use some good neighbor practices to avoid what can quickly become costly errors in judgment. Now, you may think your use is, quote, fair use, but remember, fair use is a potential defense to a copyright infringement claim. A U.S. federal judge or a jury decides, not your attorney and not you. Now, personally, I really don't like hearing, well, it's fair use associated with commercial work, and, and it's happening more frequently, meaning someone is making money from that work and not paying the owner of the content that contributed to that new work. If you're using content you do not own, to quote the Hunger Games, may the odds forever be in your favor. Before I start sharing stories and getting elevated, let's discuss what that term fair use means and what is currently required to qualify, maybe. If you leave before the end, I'd like you to ask yourself this question and be honest with yourself. If someone took content you created and used it in another work, would you want to be compensated? If the answer is yes, please pay attention and also realize that the work you incorporated was created by someone and they too want to be compensated. We will be out of what sounds like legalese shortly, but I think it's important to hear this to at least have a general understanding of certain terms that may fall under fair use. To quote the U.S. Copyright Office, fair use is a legal doctrine that promotes freedom of expression by permitting the unlicensed use of copyright protected works in certain circumstances. Section 107 of the Copyright Act provides that statutory framework for determining whether something is a fair use and identifies certain types of uses, such as criticism, comment, news reporting, teaching, scholarship, and research as examples of activities that may qualify as fair use. The Copyright Office continues with transformative uses are those that add something new with a further purpose or different character and do not substitute for the original use of the work. Parody is considered fair use. This is how SNL gets to do what they do. Now, there are four factors that serve as guidelines, and it's really important to know that all court cases are looked at individually. And I can tell you with certainty that cases, though they may be similar, rarely match up with the exact same elements. So what worked before may or may not work for you. The four factors are the purpose and character of your use, i.e., is it transformative, the nature of the copyrighted work, the amount and substantiality of the portion taken, and the effect of the use upon the potential market. So we're on the home stretch of the, the legalese use. In 1994, the U.S. Supreme Court in Campbell versus Acuff Rose Music, Inc. held that when the purpose of the use is transformative, this makes the first factor more likely to favor fair use. Meaning, is your use transformative? How has the material you took been transformed by adding new meaning or expression and was value added to the original by creating new information, insights, and understanding? So with those questions in mind and all of that being said, if you are using the work of another 
and you do not have a license or any permission or rights, unless you're an educational institution, in my opinion, you're simply playing with fire. From my point of view, there is a frightening level of copyright infringement hiding behind what producers think is a fair use argument. Now, this applies to any content producer or distributor of any content. So courses, books, blogs, videos, pictorials, movies, you name it. If you take work and cut it and edit it into your work and you use it in what may be a new work and you give no credit or some credit and sell it or market it for sale, I believe in most instances you're committing copyright infringement, though, again, I'm not a decider. This is not a popular opinion in entertainment circles. There are several attorneys who have used their published untested opinion on this matter to market themselves to filmmakers, especially documentary filmmakers. Now, there's nothing wrong with that. I think they quite smartly position themselves. What I think is the misstep is that I don't believe that they tell their clients that they may be open to a claim. Their opinion has never, from my understanding, been tested in a U.S. federal courtroom. I also believe that in today's market, documentary is a broad term. And just because you're making a documentary doesn't give you license to freely take and use content. That applies across the board. This applies to music producers and writers and creators of any content that may use content from another. Let's dispel another belief that some have. Just because you find work on the internet doesn't mean you can just use it. It doesn't mean that it's fair use and it doesn't mean that it's in the public domain. In fact, Somebody made it and somebody owns it. To be clear, I found it on the internet or I just pulled it from YouTube is not an excuse or a license to use the work. So a little disclaimer, I do not believe that all documentarians use unlicensed footage as I go through these examples, but many follow the rules and are good neighbors. Though earlier this year, we had a situation that provides a good example. A movie was made and premiered at a a major film festival and the filmmakers called it a documentary. I call it a movie. Certain distribution was purchased by a major distributor. This distributor did license deals that included distribution on pay-per-view DVD and other methods. The movie contained a substantial amount of footage from a client of ours, and they didn't credit our client. Now, credit's important. In many instances, it's an advertisement for a company that provides footage. It's also respectful to acknowledge the company or person who produced the original work you're using or incorporating in your work. Now, I had a relationship with the distributor, and they provided me the contact information for the production company, and we emailed one of the producers, and we had a friendly exchange and and then a phone call, and they thought they would, quote, would be fine. Now, I don't completely disagree with that thought process. It's easy to hide footage in a movie or TV show or other programming. Think about how many movies, and I'm lumping documentaries into that pile, how many are produced in the course of a year? It's a huge number. So it's easy to ask yourself, what are the chances of getting caught by someone who has their ducks in a row? And the answer is pretty slim. It's rare for a content producer to pop up and make a claim. It's rare for a content producer to have a claim with the potential to be awarded statutory damages and attorney's fees. It's rare for that content owner to have the means to go the distance, meaning funds to sue if need be. Why? Well, simple. The number one reason is that many content producers don't register their work with the Copyright Office, and that is a prerequisite to filing a U.S. copyright infringement claim. The simple fact that this is still so rare is just wrong to me. 
You've heard me talk about this in other podcast episodes. If you have a registration, you have teeth. If you don't and you file a registration after you've discovered or for a registration after you've discovered the infringement, you're subject to actual damages and no chance of being awarded attorney's fees. This means any representation you make to the other side of a situation will know that you can only push so hard because it doesn't make any financial sense to file. However, if your work is properly registered and they see that they're potentially exposed to statutory damages up to $150,000 plus attorney's fees, you're probably going to get a different response. So the end of that story was the producer paid an agreed upon amount to settle the claim. And I have a lot of examples from this year alone that kind of match the same way. At the end of the day here, I would say don't rely on industry experts or attorneys in this area unless they agree to represent you in a claim free of charge and pay any judgment. And yeah, I know that sounds crazy, but but here's the deal. You don't know what you don't know. And, and if you try that with them, you'll see how fast they talk about exposure and start backpedaling. Now, I don't say this to poke attorneys or, or you for that matter. I say this in an attempt to get you to think about taking an extra step of licensing content you use in your work, no matter what the work is. Now, you may be thinking, well, what if I can't figure it out? That's possible, but more often than not, you really can. If there's a watermark, it connects to someone. If you found content, chances are there's a search you can do or a click you can make that will lead you to an email or a Twitter account you can DM or a Facebook page that you can send a message to. At the very least, try. This way, if someone does show up, you can honestly tell them that you tried and explain how. This may actually help you. I would kind of operate like, unless you're an educational institution, I would suggest that you take the time to clear all work that you bring into new work. Now, some may be thinking, wait, I run a news agency, I'm covered. Again, maybe you are. Because here's the deal. If you're posting work on a website with advertising and charging people to access that content, you're commercializing the work. That, in my opinion, changes the game. So you may be reporting news, but you're getting paid. So pay the owner of the work you're using. I think you're committing copyright infringement. And if you don't want to do that, it can be an expensive lesson. In the last year alone, look at this. Katy Perry, Jay-Z, Robin Thicke, Pharrell, I could just go on, in the music industry, have about $15 million in judgments. Now, taking those into account, the crazy thing about all of those claims is that in those cases, I don't truly think it was intentional by the artists. If you look at how songs are made today, it's a group effort. And this happens in all areas of content creation. It's possible someone in the group was influenced by another's music and brought that to the party. So how can you solve that going forward? Just make sure you're clearing all the rights on everything you're using. This year alone, our company has settled over 10 news-related claims. I don't even know how many documentaries. And... (sighs) well over 50,000 infringements on sites who appropriated video for their commercial use. So again, I could go on with more stories, but they're basically all sound the same. So here's your takeaway. When you rip content from a location, never attempt to contact the owner and commercialize your product that you made that contains the work of another, you are asking for trouble. Now, when the owner or the representative calls that person out and they claim fair use, after they made money with someone else's content, chances are they're full of shit. 
I've said it before. Please be a good online citizen. Just be a good actor. It's not that expensive to do it. And it's a lot cheaper than paying for a claim later. If you're going to make money from someone else's work, do the right thing up front. So as we wrap this up, I hope this information is helpful to you to better protect your content. And I'm more than happy to answer questions inside our Facebook group. It's uh, Intellectual Property HQ Community. As always, if this podcast was informative or helpful to you in your endeavors, please take a moment and leave us a five-star review and, and share this with your friends. And thank you for spending some time with me. Happy hunting. Jason Tucker is not an attorney. All of the information shared on this free podcast is his opinion and not legal advice. Be sure to subscribe and rate the show on iTunes. See you next time.